Hey, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this wonderful day. I want to thank you for the rain. I know sometimes we don't like rain on Sunday mornings, but boy, did we need it. It was getting pretty dry, and you and your wonderful sovereignty sent this wonderful thirst-quenching rain, much like your grace comes into our lives. So thank you for that. And Father, for the opportunity to pray with and talk and share with these young families. Thank you for that incredible worship. These two last songs were so wonderful. Thank you for filling our cups up. Now, God, we want to ask specifically, and Holy Spirit, I'm speaking to you, that that you would just um, feel free to work in this place today. I pray, Father, for your anointing on me that I might share these truths in the way that you want them shared. And then, God, hearts will just be opened up. And um, that this stuff will get into our hearts. And um, the lives of moms and dads and students and children as family units, regardless of what that family unit looks like, whether it, be, whether it be just a mom or just a dad or, or just even a child or a student, um, that it may get into our hearts and change us today. I want to thank you again for this church family. Father, thank you for them. And I pray, God, that you'll just bless our time together. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you're glad to be here today. You know, there's a, you know what? Since I looked back the last time, more came in. You guys aren't afraid of the rain, are you? Uh-uh. You know, it's, the thing is, we're all so sweet, we're afraid we'll melt. You know, we're not salt. We're, we're definitely more sugar than anything else. Well, thank you for coming. And by the way, this is our last Sunday in Home Guard. We're going to be done. We're talking about guarding your financial perspective. You know, last week we talked about contentment. And then we're going to talk about today about how do you have the right perspective about the things that you have. You might go, well, what's next, Dwayne? Next week we start crosstalk. Crosstalk. And it's a, it's a study on the seven sayings of Jesus Christ as he's hanging on the cross. And uh, that'd be a great song, that beautiful name song. It'd be a great song if we can sing that again sometime during um, this series. And so we're looking forward to sharing that. I don't think I've ever taught that kind of a series. And so I'm looking forward to studying and sharing with you. But today, how do we make sure that we've got the right financial perspective? Well, we got to start because Paul starts in 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich. So we're going to talk about, well, is there, are there any rich people here? And this is always one of those things we kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, about, you know. Um, and I found this cool site because I always try to help us put in perspective about our station in life in America. Because let's just be honest, if you live in America, chances are, you're a lot wealthier than the rest of the world. That's just the bottom line. And I always look for fresh ways to, to help you understand the, your station in life here in America and why you may have been given what you have. So I found a site that's entitled the Global Rich List. You know, Forbes magazine always puts out the list of the 10 wealthiest or top 50 wealthiest people in the world. Well, this is called the Global Rich List, and they've used a matrix and put it together. And this list that I'm going to use today, there were two ways you could figure it. One was your income and the other was your total wealth assets. Okay, they're not the same. So the numbers you're going to hear this morning are based strictly on income. Okay, so with that thought in mind, based on income, are we rich? Well, here's the deal. Today, if you make $25,000 a year, okay, $25,000 a year, you're in the top 2% 
of wage earners in the world. Now, this next number is going to be more meaningful when I tell you this. Don't forget, there are 7.5 billion people in the world. Got that? 7.5 billion people in the world. So if you make $25,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of wage earners in the world. Are you ready for this? Here's your position on the global rich list. All right, here it is. If you make $25,000 a year, you are in line and in front of you are all the richer people than you, behind all the poorer people than you, and you are number 120,215,207. How about that? So in the whole world in wage earners, okay, there's only 120 million out of 7.5 billion in front of you and a lot more in back of you. If you make $25,000 a year. Well, if you make $50,000 a year, then you're in the top 0.31, one-third percent of the wage earners in the world. And you move up dramatically in the list. In front of you, all the richer people than you, is only 18,652,583. And everybody else of the 7.5 billion are behind you. Are you feeling wealthier yet? Now, think about that. In this whole big old world, only 18 million people are more wealthy than you. How about that? Let's just jump up. How about, I'm only doing a couple more. $75,000. If you make $75,000 a year, and perhaps it's a joint deal with your family, $75,000, you're in the top 10, 10th of 1%. 0.11, okay, percent of wage earners in the world, and you jump up a lot more in front of you are 6,645,709, and everybody else is behind you. And lastly, if your combined income for your household, or perhaps you, you if you make $100,000 a year, then you're in the top 0.08% in the entire world of wage earners, and in front of you are only 5,067,709. So you should be feeling pretty wealthy, regardless of the fact you live in America or Zimbabwe or wherever you may live. The bottom line is, if we make the money we make in America, we're pretty wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Let let me put it a little bit different way. Let's take that guy who makes $50,000 a year. Okay, now if you make fifty thousand dollars a year and you make about a twenty-six, a forty-hour week, okay, you make about twenty-six dollars and four cents an hour. Okay, so if you make fifty thousand dollars a year, you work a forty-hour week, you make about twenty-six dollars and four cents an hour. Well, the guy your your counterpart in Zimbabwe makes fifty-three cents an hour. Fifty-three cents an hour. In fact, he's going to have to work the next forty-nine years. To make what you make in one year. Isn't that amazing? Oh, now don't get quiet. This is not one of those guilt sermons. Isn't, isn't that crazy though? I mean, it's just really amazing to me. Listen to this. Listen to this. If you, if you want to buy a Coca-Cola, okay, you have to work about the $50,000 a, a, a year guy. He has to work 1.2 minutes to buy a Coca-Cola. The guy, his counterpart in, in Ghana, Africa, West Africa has to work seven hours to buy that same Coca-Cola. Now, how many of you always, and somebody said this before, I promise you, you've said, I wish I made as much as my doctor makes. Now, first off, you need to understand something. The reason your doctor makes what he makes is because he worked for it. 
He went to a lot of school and works a lot of hard hours to do that. But we've been guilty, and we say, I just wish I made what my doctor made. Well, guess what? You do better than that. Because your salary, all right, your monthly salary, would be what 309 doctors make in Malawi. So there, you could, you could, for a month of your $50,000, you could pay the salary of 309 doctors. Don't you feel wealthy? Don't you feel wealthy? And by the way, I need to tell you this right now, because you're going, well, Dwayne, where they cost, it doesn't cost anything to live. Well, I was in Uganda in January, and gas was $4 a gallon. Now, granted... Most of these folks don't have an electric bill, and they don't have a gas bill, and they don't have a water bill because they got none of that. They live in a house with a dirt floor. I get that part. But the bottom line is things are not necessarily cheaper. We're just we're blessed in America with what we make. But we, we push back from that. I, I remember a while back, and it's been several years, but it's been here. Several years, I was in the front yard of my house. I live on Poplar Street, and that's the main drag there through town. And I'm on Poplar Street, and I'm in the front yard working, and this kid walks by. And he goes, um, is that your house? And I said, yep, sure is. He goes, it's beautiful. I said, well, thank you, bud. And then he said it. He said, you must be rich. And I wanted to go, no, no, don't accuse me of that. No, we just got this thing about rich. Wait, you know, call me fat, call me shorty. Call me what you want, but don't call me rich. When we all have that angst in us about that. And I wanted to look him in the eye, and I don't, I'm not sure exactly. I think I did say, actually, I think I said, no, I'm not. But, but I wanted to say, no, 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 I'm just like you. My world is just like yours. And that's not true. He was going home to a house probably that may or may not have air conditioning like I enjoy. He was going probably to a home when... There may or may not have been food in the closet. I can tell from his clothing and his demeanor that he was not very wealthy. But we push back when we're called rich. But, but whether in, in the world, we've got to be honest and say, in the world, in America, we are just, most of us are incredibly wealthy. But also in the America, in the United States, a lot of us are wealthier than some of the people we know. That's just the way that it is. And it's a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. You know, Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, He said, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much is required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Jesus said that when you've been given a lot of something then there's a great responsibility for that. So, so the question today is, how can, be, how can we be good at being rich? Where, whatever that means to us, wherever that falls in our station of life in America, how can we be good at being rich? And that's what we want to talk about today. Now, now let me just tell you something, in case you're new here, or in case you haven't noticed. You know, have you noticed that we don't talk a lot about money here? You may go a whole year... And never hear a sermon on you ought to give to Dorsville Baptist Church. I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying it's a rare day. And it's not that we don't need that money. 
We desperately need that money. But we are just blessed with people who consistently and regularly give week in and week out to the budget needs of our church, to the ministry needs of our church. That's why you don't hear money sermons. It's because that. Now, I will tell you this. There's five or six times a year that we blatantly ask for your money. Things like Annie Armstrong, World Hunter, Kim and Chris, Lottie Moon, uh, IBSA, you know, Mother's Day offering. There are times when we blatantly ask you to give. But you know why we ask you to give? So we can give it away. I am never ashamed to stand up and talk about that when we're going to give it away. But with all that said, how can we be better at being rich? Because Timothy apparently needs to know from Paul that being rich is not always an easy thing to do. So take your shoes off, sit back and relax. No guilt trip today. But how can we be better at being rich? Now, our scripture is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17. And again, these, these, look at verse 17, 18, and 19, I think it is. And, and we break it apart so it's real fragmented, but it's just so rich in content. Here's what it says. Instruct those who are rich in the present age. So the first words that we hear from Timothy, or from Paul to Timothy is, instruct those who are rich in the present age. Let's back into that. This present age. Now, that obviously implies if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know something. In fact, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to know this. There's something after the last heartbeat. For the non-believers in Jesus Christ, and that means separation from God in a place called hell for all eternity. But for those who trust Jesus Christ, notice it's not good or bad. It's about grace and about receiving what Jesus Christ did on a Roman cross. Okay, so 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 he says you need to know something. There's something after this. This present age implies there's another age coming. There's another age coming. You need to know that. And then, even back in Paul's day, he says, instruct those who are rich. So, there were rich people in the church back then. And guess what? There are rich people in the church today. There's no shame, no sin in being rich. In fact, it is a blessing. And then he says, instruct those who are rich in this present age. In other words, apparently, we're not very good at being rich. And so, we need to learn how to be rich. Now, here's the deal. It's hard. It's hard. It's not hard to be rich. It's hard to be rich well. Um, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be rich. You know, it's a great story in the Bible where this young rich guy runs up to Jesus and says, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And, and Jesus, you know, kind of prodding him to understand that he needed help, says, You know, what did the commands say? Well, you got to do this, 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 and this. And by the way, I've done all those all my life. And then Jesus said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to go and you need to sell everything you got. You need to give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Okay? Now, the reason Jesus said that was because he had a feeling, he knew that this young rich guy had a God in his life and it wasn't Jehovah. It was, it was his currency, his life, his wealth. And so he tells this young man to sell everything that he has. And the Bible says this guy turns away and walks away very sad. Very sad. So here's what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 19, 23 through 24, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus starts out by saying, you know, if you have wealth, 
it's very difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven. Think this. I love these nature shows. And imagine, if you will, the pit, you know, you got this nature show on, and it's talking about the salmon and how the salmon will swim upstream. Are you ready for this? 2,000 miles upstream so they can return to the place of the birth and spawn and die. Imagine that. Jesus is saying, it's so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're like a salmon swimming upstream. He goes on and he says this. He says, and again, I tell you in verse 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's not a, well, it's some division, but most believe it's not metaphorically speaking. He's not making an illustration. He's saying it really is that difficult. And the answer is why? Because money, wealth, success holds such a grip on people. And you know that's true. It has such a grip on people when a person has this God, particularly this God, of uh, a lost person, of wealth and success and, all, and money, all those things, God is usually not even close to his radar. And like the young man, when, when it says that God has to go, the person walks away because I'm just not willing to give that God up. So it's a dangerous thing. If you're here today and you have an increasingly amount of wealth and you're going, I like wealth, and you've never trusted Jesus, and you're going, this is why I don't go to church. You want to talk about money and God. Well, I, I'm not going to give my money up for God. Well, let me tell you something. There'll come a time in your life when you'll gladly give up your money for God. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there is something after the last heartbeat. And without Jesus, you won't make heaven. You won't make heaven. But here's the deal. See what you think about this. The truth is also that even though we're made new, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Because all things become new. Aware of that verse, it's probably a good generalization to say that whatever was hard for you before salvation might still be difficult after salvation. Some of the things you wrestle with before you may wrestle with after salvation. And the truth is, if you wrestled with generosity and giving away and with wealth, you need to be on guard knowing that there will probably be some battles that you're going to have to fight after you are saved. So it's with difficulty. It's with difficulty. Okay? So instruct those who are rich in this present age because they need help because it's hard to be a believer and be rich in a good way. Then he goes on and says this in verse 17b, the second part. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. Not to be arrogant. Not to be prideful. Let me say this. Success and money, success and wealth is a breeding ground for pride. It's a breeding gown for pride, especially in the United States of America where we live. We gauge a person's success by how much they make and how much wealth they have. We have a tendency to say, oh, that person is successful if, and then there's certain criteria that we lay out there. Now, don't push back again and go, well, Dwayne, like, that's not cool. Well, here's the deal. It's just our human nature. How many of y'all have a bird bath in your yard? Yeah. Did you know if you're not careful that you're raising mosquitoes? You don't, have to, you don't have to go out and hang a sign saying, All mosquitoes come live here. You don't have to say, and go, Ole, if your mosquito comes see me too. 
You don't have to hang a rent for rent sign out on your bird bath. The bottom line is, if there's stagnant water in your bird bath, a mosquito's going to fly by one day and say, looks like a good breeding ground to me, and he's going to land in your bird bath, and he's going to have lots of babies. You didn't intentionally do that. It's just the way it is. Well, that's how it is with wealth and success. You just need to be aware. It's in us somewhere that, that we want to be, you know, want to be independent of God. It's, it's, a, it's a success thing. It's a pride thing. And God's word, that's why Paul says, don't be arrogant. If you have success and wealth, don't become arrogant. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament, and it's found in 2 Chronicles 26, 16. There's a king named Uzziah. Now listen. This is really good for the mosquito story. He was a great king. He did so many things right. I'm talking about God things. He did so many God things right. And listen to what it says in that verse. 2 Chronicles, Chronicles 26, 16. But when Uzziah became strong, when he became successful, when he became powerful, he grew, notice the word, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. A good guy. But somehow it creeped into his life as he, become, as he became successful, it became into his life, and he became arrogant. And listen to this. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord his God by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the altar. Now, that's a big deal. Burning the incense was for the priest. And Mr. Uzziah, who got arrogant, said, I'm tired of doing it God's way. I'm going to do it my way. And that's a real temptation. I'm going to do it my way. And he goes in and burns incense. And boy, that, that ticked God off. In fact, the Bible says that Uzziah got leprosy. And he was a leper until the day he died. He became the walking dead. And if we're not careful... Wealth and success can do that to us. We can become like the walking dead. We're still saved, but we're living like dead men. So it is dangerous. This thing that we have in America called wealth is a dangerous thing. And again, it's in regards to where you are in your station, whether it's 25,000 or 50 or 75 or 100, whatever it is God's blessed you with, then you become arrogant with that and cling to that and declare your independence from God with that. Now, he also says those not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. Not only do we have a tendency to be arrogant, but we do have a tendency to declare independence from God. And, and Paul says, don't, listen, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. And it is uncertain. Back in 2008, and believe me, I don't have a very good perspective for retirement uh, we've contributed and contributing how it is in the stock market. You win and you lose. Well, in 08, I didn't have a whole lot in there. And I believe I lost like $20,000 in two months. It's so uncertain. And I'm telling Judy, I don't get this. I send them money and they lose it. I send them money and they lose it. I send them money and they lose it. Just didn't get it and understand it. Wealth and money is so uncertain. Don't put your trust in that. Put it in God. Put it in God. Now, listen, listen. This is such a great scripture. Write the reference down. If you've got a pen in your hand, write the reference down. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Listen to this. 
Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. That's what we do. I know more. Come on. Have you one time said, God, I know better than you. I don't like the way you answer this prayer. I know better than you. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. I'm stronger than you. I can't, if I don't do this, God, it won't get done. I can't count on you. I've got to do it. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. I have more. I have more. I got the ability, the financial mean to get it done. Let not the rich man boast in riches. But, verse 24, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me talking about God. If you want to boast in something as a believer in Jesus Christ, don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your accumulated power. Don't boast in your wealth. Boast in God. Paul said in Galatians, he said, this one thing I will boast in, I will boast in an old rugged cross of which the Prince of Glory died, shed his blood, that I could have redemption from my sins. If you want to boast in something, boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to boast in. Not in our wisdom, not in our might, not in our wealth. Listen, listen, listen. Titles are great. Titles are great. But the greatest title you own is child of God. Child of God. So if you want to boast, boast in the cross. The, the author continues in Jeremiah 9. He says that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Wow. Wow. So now you're going, okay, how do I know I can trust God? You're saying, you're saying, you're saying that, you know, if I'm rich, that I shouldn't be arrogant or prideful, Okay, I shouldn't put my trust in things. I should trust in God. What kind of God exactly is he? Well, Paul tells us. You're going to like this. In verse 17, the last part, it says this. Who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. What kind of God is this? Who provides us all things richly to enjoy. Okay, listen. Nowhere in Scripture as it pertains to the believer, is there a vow of poverty? In case you've heard that somewhere, you need to know that. Nowhere does the word of God in the New Testament declare, thou shalt be poor. God's not called us to sell our homes, give all the money away, go buy a ranch in Montana, and chant and wear robes. In fact, the Bible says God has given us all things to richly enjoy. In James 1.17, it says everything, all good things come from the Father above. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And He gave us these things, what? To enjoy. God is not against things. It concerns Him deeply. Not when we own things, but when things own us. See, He gave us things to enjoy but not to worship. So if you find yourself worshiping your address, your car, your labels, your titles, or your profession, that's a real big deal. It's a real big deal. Be careful. Be mindful that that's idolatry. That's idolatry. God has given us, however, not things to worship, but things to enjoy. 
Understand this. Listen to what Jesus said, a familiar verse that you know. He said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't. So God gave us, God's given us things to enjoy, just not to worship. So in verse number 18, Paul says this, Instruct them. We're learning again. Paul says, Instruct them to do what is good and to be rich in good works. Paul says, tell the rich people, tell the rich people to do what is good, to be rich in good works. And let me say this. I said this Sunday night, money's a tool. It's not good or bad, it's neutral. It is a tool. And I think it's a good statement to make that the more God entrusts wealth to us, the richer we are in dollar signs or other forms of assets, the richer we should be in good works. Does that make sense? The more God places in your hands financially, the more we should be richer in good works. Because he says, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works. So when God places money in our hands, he does it for, for our benefit, he does it for the kingdom's benefit, and he does it for the benefit of others. Okay, now, now John, the apostle, wrote in 1 John 3, 17, a very good scripture. Here's what he says. But, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the, God's love abide in him? Let me read it again. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. In other words, when we, walk, we go through life, when we journey through life, and we see someone with a need, and we constantly find ourselves as a lifestyle, notice what I said, as a lifestyle walking away from that, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why? And what's great is, what's great is you don't have to have you know, six figures in the bank for this scripture to work. Um, my son-in-law who lives in Georgia, you know, he'd be the first to tell you he's got more faults than Carter's got pills. But he happens to have a pretty merciful heart. And when they were still living in Harrisburg, um, he, was, he and Sarah were out walking, I think with a kid then, I'm not sure with a child, um, walking. And there's this guy on Church Street, and he had tennis shoes on that simply didn't have bottoms. I mean, they were just worn through the soles. No shoestrings, no nothing. And apparently, you could just tell that his feet were hurting. And so my son-in-law, who has this weird fetish for shoes like somebody else I know in our congregation, who has a weird fetish for shoes, you know, goes home and gets in his closet and pulls out his nicest pair of whatever brand it was. He liked the van things, I think. It's just a really cool pair of shoes. And he runs and chases this guy down and says, Here, bud, you need these more than I do. If anyone has this world's goods... And sees his brother in need. That is generosity. It's when we see a need and we are moved from compassion to action to meet that need. Amen? And, and again, if you make $25,000 a year, you can do that. If you make $20,000 a year, you can do that. If you make $100,000 a year, you can do that. You can do that. Now, notice what it says yet closes his heart 
against him. I've had my heart closed before. Everyone in this room, you have seen a situation where you saw someone and they took advantage of the system. I was in Seattle, and I can't remember exactly where I was. I was out doing my walking thing, I believe. I may have stopped at a red light, and these two guys were talking. One guy was holding a sign, you know, homeless, help me, haven't eaten in three weeks, whatever it said. And a guy was talking to him, and his sign was folded up. And he said these words. He said, now this is what I have on my sign, and but it works. And it closed my heart. It closed my heart. You're probably wise enough to know not every person who holds a cardboard sign up and says, homeless, help me, is not homeless, nor needs your help. But you don't close your heart. You may get wise and learn discernment, but you don't close your heart. And it is better to be taken advantage of every once in a while than to close your heart. It is better better taken advantage of than to close your heart. So if, if a person closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? And look at verse 18. Little children, John just speaking out of compassion. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So if we're learning, back to verse 18, the top part, instruct them to do, do what is good, to be rich in good works. I want to challenge you this week. I want you to do something. I want you to do Something. I want you to, this week, I want you to look for an opportunity to help someone in need. I want you to use discernment. I want you to find an opportunity this week to help someone in need. Because he says in the second part of verse 18, to be generous and willing to share. To be generous and willing to share. So every person here, you know, I said something about the last missions offering. Because, you know, we got in the habit of saying, if you can't give. And I said, time out. Everyone can give a dollar. There's no one in this room who couldn't give a dollar. So, again, I want every person, regardless of where you are in your station in life, economically, I want you to try to do something this week. I want you to find a way to be generous and a way to share. Why, Dwayne? Because you said so? No, because God says so. And, and generosity and being good at being rich starts with the smallest step. And the smallest step may leave, be leaving a $10 tip to a waitress. It may be buying the lunch. You look behind you and there's this beater car that's got a rod knocking, kind of like my first rambler did. And you say, hey, I'd like to buy that person's lunch. You know, one of our banks in town has this random act of kindness running. Be Christ-like. Be kind. Find a way to share. Find a way to give. Find a way to be generous. Because that's what the Word of God says we are to do. Was Jesus kind to us? Was Jesus generous to us? Yeah, He was. In fact, the Bible says that Christ became poor. He was rich and He became poor for us. So our Christ-like responsibility is to exactly... So there's your homework. It's not, it's, not, it's not an illustration purpose. I really mean it. Dwayne, yes, sir. It's being recorded, I know. Find a way to be generous this week. Find a way to share. Find a way to give. He goes on and, and says this in Proverbs um, eleven twenty five. Because, see, this is cool. Because there's something for us. There's something for us. I like that. All right? 
11.25, Proverbs 11.25 says this, A generous man will prosper. A generous man will prosper. Not necessarily more dollar signs, but in the kingdom perspective, he'll prosper. Again, God places things in our hand for our benefit, for the kingdom's benefit, and for others' benefit. For our benefit, the kingdom's benefit, and others' benefit. So, a generous person, a generous man will prosper. Now watch, here's the good part. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. In other words, this week as you take home the challenge and you find a way to do something, like John said, to be generous, to give or to share something, it's going to do something to you inside. It's going to do something. It's not a reason to give necessarily, but you're going to get that warm feeling. And it's going to refresh you. Dwayne, how do you know that? Because I know me. Oh, by the way, did I mention the fact I wrestle with this? Did I mention, I know my wife would say we're generous, and we probably are in a lot of ways, but personally I wrestle with this sometimes. Have I mentioned that my heart has been shut before? Have I mentioned I struggle? Yeah. Yeah, it's the truth. And the times I have not, I've suffered, and the times I have, it refreshed. This is a small example. Believe me, it's a minuscule example, but it did refresh me. We pulled up to the stop sign at the Granger and the bypass. And I could look across the way and I could see a lemonade stand. And some kids were up there and I could see this kid holding a sign. Did not really know what it was. I could tell there were pictures on the table. I said, go across. So we pulled up. I said, what you got for sale today? Lemonade. The worst lemonade I've ever tasted. What do you got for sale today? Lemonade? Well, I'll take a glass. And I didn't hand him $5. It was 75 cents a cup. But I gave him a buck. I said, there you go, bud. Keep the change. And we drove off. And Jesus said, you know, it's the right thing to do. It was just an opportunity to do something right. And it cost me a dollar. And she drank the lemonade, I think. I wasn't going to. But was it a blessing to those little kids? Was it? Yeah. Did it refresh me? Yeah, it did. So this week, this week, look for an opportunity to be generous, to give, and to share. It will bless you that. Now, it goes on. He says in verse 19, and this is the last verse, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. There are two really important truths there. One, when, we, when we're better at being rich, when we're generous and when we share, you know, and by the way, you know, what better way to be generous than our mission offerings like I talked about in the very beginning? When we're generous and when we share, okay, somehow that translates into the world to come. There's a reserve for the age to come. Somehow there's an economy up in heaven that somehow this translates. Don't ask me to explain it because I can't. I just know somehow there's an economy, economy in heaven where this works. So it's important we be faithful here. But he also says this, so they may take hold of life that is real. I just know what that means. That means our life is richer and fuller and more purposeful when we learn to be good at being rich. When we understand that what we have is for our benefit, kingdom benefit, and others' benefit. And we learn to give and to share 
with others. Our life is just river, richer. Our church's life is richer because we're learning to give away. We're learning to give away. Last scripture, in Matthew six nineteen, you know this one. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Those are all temporal, all temporal, temporary. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's that economy. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this last verse in that scripture, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've said this before recently. Your heart will chase what you treasure. Your heart will chase what you treasure. Your heart will chase what you treasure. And I want to look at every daddy. Daddy, look at me. Mama, look at me, please. Teach your children that what their heart chases needs to be eternal. Teach your children that what their heart chases needs to be eternal. I can't stress this enough. That as a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, wherever your sphere of influence is on children, in a culture that is teaching dramatically today, it belongs to me. It's me, 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 mine, mine, mine. It will be so radical as you as a believer in Jesus Christ teach your children it's more blessed to give than to receive. Involve them in that challenge to do something generous this week, to give and to share. I don't know about you. America has a lot of issues. I want you to know I know that. But it's still the greatest nation in the world. I know somebody may push back from that. I don't, I don't know. But I know this, that the wealth in America can provide every dollar needed to win this per- world to Jesus Christ. It could. It could. And when God's people learn that prosperity is given for our benefit, the kingdom benefit, and the benefit of others, when we truly learn that and apply that, we all of a sudden have more missionaries on the field because the funds are available for that. Churches are stronger in their ministries here, here, because of that. So is it hard to be rich? It really is, from a kingdom perspective. But again, what do we say about Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. So rarely do I preach a sermon when you got homework. But you got a challenge this week. I'm going to do something generous. I'm going to give. I'm going to share. And I'm going to involve my family. Let's pray together. Father, thank you very much for allowing me to share this. I know it's a different sermon today. But, oh, Father, is it important Father, first I want to pray for the person who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. All they know is the pull and power of the desire for more. May they understand today that the greatest gift ever was your son Jesus Christ. 
And that is a free gift. Not free to him, but free to us. So I want to pray they'll have the courage today, even from the part they heard about the cross, and take Brent by the hand and say, I want to know about this man named Jesus Christ. How he can give me a life that's really life. Because I've got stuff, and I'm not very happy. I've got some money in the bank, and I'm not very happy. And I want to know more about how I can have the true life that matters. I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters who so faithfully give week in and week out that make the ministry of Dorisville possible. I want to thank you for the ones who give consistently to the offerings that we give away. Thank you, Father, for that. But, Father, right now I want to pray for families, whether that's one person, a mom and dad, children, perhaps a couple my age, Lord, but the kids have grown, however that plays out and however that's defined. I want to pray for families this week that we're going to pick up this challenge and we're going to do something. We're going to do something. We're going to put feet to our love. We're going to put feet to our compassion and find a way where we can be generous, to find a way where we can give and share all in the name of Jesus Christ, all in the name of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Father, for this precious time together. May, there be a, may, may fruit, may fruit come forward from today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.